1: Welcome to So Money.
0: If you're a small business owner or make some extra cash on the side and you're struggling with tax stuff like I once did, I'm here to say you can stop freaking out and burying your head in the sand. Now, thanks to FreshBooks, you can end the agony. FreshBooks is the ridiculously easy to use cloud accounting software that's made for folks like you and me who can't stand doing their taxes. This online service, I'm telling you, will transform the way that you manage your taxes. FreshBooks keeps all your cash flow details in one place. One place, So you know exactly what invoices you sent, who's paid you, and what your income is at all times. Their mobile app also lets you take pictures of your receipts and organizes them for later, which makes claiming expenses a breeze. You can even set up FreshBooks to import expenses directly from your bank accounts. FreshBooks is offering my listeners a free 30-day trial, no credit card required. Just go to freshbooks.com slash so money and enter so money in the how did you hear about us section that's freshbooks.com/so money. Welcome back to So Money everyone. March 24th, episode 384. Can you believe it? My guest today, Jason Robell. He is a celebrity vegan chef. He has a new book out and he's just really fun. I was on YouTube just now just trying to get a little sneak peek at his videos. He's hilarious. He's entertaining. Who would have thought, you know, because when I think of veganism, I think of like seaweed this and buckwheat that. But Jason brings new life to this lifestyle. It's really, it's a lifestyle. It's not really just a diet. And uh, he is making a lot of friends along the way. He's got a very, very popular YouTube channel. The book is called Eternity, More Than 150 Deliciously Easy Vegan Recipes for a Long, Healthy, Satisfied, Joyful Life. Jason uses powerful everyday superfood ingredients to create culinary masterpieces that attract a celebrity following from the likes of Woody Harrelson, Jeremy Piven, Robin Wright, Steve Buscemi, and Russell Simmons, among many others. And we talk about that. I'm like, give me some dirt on these celebrities. Like, what do they really eat? How do you help them? Do they really just eat? healthy for the span of a movie and then they're back to eating chocolate chips and brownies because that's what I would do. A little bit more about Jason. He graduated from the Living Light Culinary Institute. He has a certification as a raw food chef and instructor. And he's gone on to apprentice with some of the industry's finest and most revered talents in New York City, Detroit and Los Angeles. His career highlights include winning the inaugural World Best Raw Ice Cream competition in Los Angeles and being the first vegan chef ever to present live at the prestigious. Pebble Beach Food and Wine Festival. Again, he's got that YouTube channel called the J. Rowe Show, where he showcases healthy recipes and lifestyle transformation tips. And he's got a TV series on the Cooking Channel. Way to bury the lead here. How to Live to a Hundred is the show. It's the first prime time vegan cooking series in TV history. So with Jason, we talk about, obviously, some of the celebrity dish. We talk about how he built his career after some failure in the beginning. And I was really impressed with his YouTube channel. And I wondered, you know, how long did it take you with YouTube, the the consistency there, in order to kind of get noticed? And uh, it wasn't overnight. Here is Jason Robel. Jason Robel, welcome to So Money, my first Vegan celebrity chef. I'm really excited to pick your brain, share your expertise and your your awesomeness with my audience. Welcome to So Money.
1: Thanks so much, Bernush. I'm very very excited to be here today. It's it's definitely my most unique podcast interview so far.
0: So far, we're only like two seconds in. I, I'm that's a compliment. It's only gonna be downhill from here. Um, <laughs> Jason, I was watching you on YouTube. You have this really entertaining, informative YouTube channel. Everybody go to YouTube, subscribe to Jason Robel. That starts with a W. The uh, W is silent. And you mentioned in one of your videos that your mom once told you that if you learn how to make food, you'll never be lonely.
1: Yes. That's great that's advice. One of, the, one of the greatest nuggets of wisdom among many that my amazing mother has shared. Um, but it's been true, you know. Food brings people together. It's a it's a bonding element of of our human culture. And I found that if you make it really good, people want to be around you all the time.
0: And you not only created a small community, you created a massive community. You're huge. You're everywhere. You have a new book out called Eternity: More than 150 Deliciously Easy Vegan Recipes for a Long, Healthy, Satisfied, Joyful Life. Okay. I got to ask you though, um, you're big on veganism. You're super healthy. And I watched again in one of your videos, you're like, if you want to lead a healthy lifestyle, cut out the following, you know, carbohydrates, simple sugars, dairy. I was like, what's left?
1: There's a lot left. Um, You know, I'm a big proponent of really just people eating a lot more fresh fruits and vegetables. And whether you want to go vegan, vegetarian, paleo, Um, really that's not my focus of my work. It's just getting people to eat more fresh, healthy, preferably locally grown foods.
0: Right. You even talk about how to start your own small garden and which these days it's it's possible from anywhere. If you have a windowsill, ladies and gentlemen, you could probably start a small little garden of your own in your, you know, eight by 10, uh, apartment in New York city. (laughs) What's, what makes you different, Jason? I mean, obviously you have this really Really, riveting personality, that's important, you know, if you want to stand out. but well, where do you get your um, inspiration what 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 do you draw on?:
1: You know for me, it's just looking at how many people are are looking for new ways of approaching their health. Um, you know, my My initial inspiration for choosing this as a lifestyle and then a profession was really looking at a lot of the um, critical health issues and diseases in my own family back in Detroit. And extrapolating that on the entire country and the world, you see so many people with these health challenges or, or diseases trying to cure themselves or just feel better, lose weight, clear up their skin, whatever it may be. And I truly just felt that eating right and eating clean, eating healthy plant-based foods was a great way to either stave off disease or just feel better every day. So my commitment is really to make this as fun as possible, make it as approachable and engaging as possible. And again, just get people experimenting with healthy foods in their own kitchens.
0: Do you think that we can subside on a diet without meat? Um, some people say that for them, protein from meat is survival, like their body needs that. But is that just something that we tell ourselves or that our body is tricked into believing? What is the what are the da- what does the data show you?
1: Well, the data has shown that if if we look at it from a sheer nutritional perspective and look at the science. Uh, protein is comprised of amino amino acids. They're essential amino acids. And then we have branch chain amino acids. Branch chain amino acids are more for looking at getting into muscle building and really expanding our muscle volume. So bodybuilders are really concerned with those BCAAs. But if we look at protein, it's just getting your amino acids. So you can get your essential amino acids from animal products and also plant foods. There's no advantage to getting those amino acids from animal-based products. And in fact, you know, if we look at how our meat consumption and animal agriculture is affecting our environment, our air quality, our water quality, it's getting to the point where probably in the next 30 to 50 years, I think collectively as a human race, we're going to be moving away from animal agriculture because it's just not a sustainable option for our environment anymore.
0: Wow. What's going to happen to all those farmers and, and, you know, the cattle raisers in Texas? Yikes.
1: Yeah, you know, I think what we're going to see is um, a lot less subsidies for those products in the government. One of the biggest reasons why so many animal-based agriculture uh, industries are are so big is because the government subsidizes them. Mm. But again, I think if we look at feeding a world of, I mean, we're already at, what, eight and a half billion people and growing. Um, looking at the data, it, it doesn't make sense resource-wise – to continue to waste the water, the grain, feeding it to hundreds of billions of animals to try and feed eight and a half billion humans. Math just doesn't add up. So, mm-hmm. you know, aside from my ethical philosophy of really wanting to extend compassion toward other beings, if we just look at the data, it's going to be unsustainable to feed all those humans while, while feeding all that grain and water to all those animals. So, Incomes plant based, you know, nutrition um, using that arable cropland and growing a higher volume of vegetables on that same amount of land. So just from the numbers alone, we're going to do better if we shift toward a more plant centric diet.
0: And I love that your recipes in your new book, Eternity. It's not just wheatgrass shots and buckwheat granola. You've got (laughs) chocolate avocado jungle peanut pudding. Yes, please. Spicy sweet potato tortilla soup and salted caramel waffle. So you really are feeding the zeitgeist here.
1: Absolutely. You know, I think people want what they're familiar with. Um, Most people love comfort foods. They love the pizzas and the pastas and the puddings and the ice creams. And I just want to meet people where they're at because I remember when I was starting out uh, nearly two decades ago, transitioning from a totally standard American diet to a plant-based diet, I thought, I don't, I don't want this feeling of deprivation. I don't want to feel like I'm giving up things in order to be healthy. Like you said, I don't want to be living on wheatgrass shots and granola all day long. So my philosophy now is doing a healthier spin on those you know familiar comfort foods we all grew up with and some of those ethnic recipes. And just making them healthier, but just as delicious.
0: You have cooked for lots of celebrities. Um, what's your favorite part? Why do you like cooking for celebrities? Is there like something about that that's different than your day-to-day that that you can share? I mean, you've worked with Jeremy Piven. I love him from Entourage. Robin Wright, yeah. who's on obviously House of Cards. She's amazing. And she's so healthy. Um, what? What? Can you give us just give us some dirt, dirt or juice or something? Like I just <laughs> <laughs> oh give boy. us give us something that we can like go back and tell our friends about. Did you oh, know God. that Robin Wright eats
1: lemongrass seaweed shots? Let's see. Before some she dirt. wakes up in the morning, um, I could probably give you the the most. Um, the most interesting dirt on on probably Woody Harrelson because I worked with him the longest I worked okay. with him on on, on two films um, you know it, it's it's one of those interesting things where where I think overall people have this idea in their minds of these celebrities as being these i don 't know superhumans like they're so they 're so much different than you and I, but mm-hmm. they 're really not at the end of the day you know what they really want is is um you know to feel a sense of of safety and security in their lives they want to feel good in their bodies they want to do good at their jobs and you know the interesting thing this isn't really dirt but working with woody in particular i saw the work ethic that he and a lot of these other actors that i've worked with have put in and i think there's this perception oh you just show up on set and you you get into character and you're done and you make millions of dollars it's unbelievable the amount of hours and work they put in I mean, it's inspiring to me the analysis of the script and running through lines and physically preparing their bodies. So one of the reasons I worked with Woody and some of the other people was conditioning, you know, physical conditioning of eating these raw foods and plant-based foods to get them in good shape to prepare for certain roles. So um, it's not really dirt per, per se. It's just these actors work a lot harder, I think, than people give them credit for. And it's amazing to watch that process.
0: So, what did you feed him? <laughs> was this for also for Hunger Games or ironically? It was actually
1: it was actually right before Hunger Games. He did two films right before the the first Hunger Games. Um we did uh Friends uh Friends with Benefits with Justin Timberlake and uh, Mila Kunis. And I also did an independent film with him called Rampart, where he played uh he played a policeman with some pretty serious psychological issues. And he wanted to um, really get a kind of a super-ripped, toned look for that role. Um, So we wanted to do a lot of muscle conditioning. He was working with some strength and fitness coaches. But he wanted to do a high raw, almost a 90% raw vegan diet, which he eats that way anyway. What I helped him with was really dialing the superfood nutrition, um, really dialing in the fat-burning foods, the brain-power foods, helping him to stay not only energized but super-ripped. And, uh, he said he was in the best. Yeah. He said he was in the best shape of his life for that role. So mission accomplished.
0: So then after the film, does he go back to eating brownies? Like how does, how does he keep up with (laughs) all that he's, how does, I mean, seriously, I would, I would just start eating, I would just stick my face in potato chips like after that, just cause it's over and I can.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting Farnoosh, because I feel like not just celebrity clients, but, but other clients that I've worked with, there's this sense of after they do it for a certain period of time, and I find kind of the magic window is between 21 and 30 days. Um, And interestingly enough, um, you know, success experts say that that's really a good window to, to uh, form new habits and really get the synapses firing in the brain differently. So that 21 to 30 day window is when I've seen clients say like, you know, I don't even, I don't even crave French fries anymore. Like I'm not even craving pizza, Mm -hmm. but that's through daily dedication You know, that's like working out, eating right. And they find that if they go back and they put kind of the junk food back in their bodies, it doesn't make them feel good anymore Mm. because we find that on a cellular level, on a chemical level, when we're eating healthier, our body actually is changing. So for me, you know, I've noticed even with my family, um, my mom's eating vegan now. My aunt, some cousins, they'll go back and they'll maybe try some of the junkier food and they're like, Oh God, I was sick for three days. I just felt like crap. So your body really has that intuitive wisdom once you start feeding it healthier food.
0: All right. So let's talk about money. Yes. How often does money come up in your day to day? Like, does it have do clients ever? Do you ever talk about money with clients? I'm sure you're not inexpensive, by the way.
1: <laughs> well, I guess that's relative. Um, money is is obviously a, a huge driver for me because as an entrepreneur and someone who has been working as a professional chef for almost 11 years now – you you, as an entrepreneur in general have to become very mindful of your money flow and where it's coming from. But even more so, as someone who is providing a service, whether it's working with clients, or whether I'm hosting the TV show, writing a book, it's learning how to really own your value and negotiate mindfully on your own behalf. And I've been blessed with really good managers and agents in my career. But nonetheless, really being mindful of my value in the marketplace, and sticking to that value so that I can provide the best service I can for whatever client I'm working with. Money comes up all the time.
0: So do you have a money mantra as you're negotiating, as you're building your, your, uh, your brand and your empire? Like what do you, what's a guiding financial philosophy of yours?
1: There's two. Number one, in, in terms of negotiation, it's, and I advise so many friends that are starting out in the business like this, You know, is really to visualize a number that makes you feel good and a number that is going to feel good for your client. So whenever I'm doing a business transaction or business deal, I always want to make it a win-win. I always want the client to feel like they're getting a great value. I'm always trying to provide great value. But also at the end of the day, when I'm busting my butt and working as hard as I can to provide that value, When I go and lay my head down at night, what's going to make me feel like, ah, job well done. I gave it my all. I gave my heart and my passion, and I've been rewarded for that. So really going into what's going to make you feel good as you're providing that great value. But in terms of my overall financial strategy right now, I I have a mantra that I've written on my vision board. It says, earn more, spend less, pay off debt, invest the rest. Do you have debt? I do have some debt, some business debt. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Being an entrepreneur, um, especially with this book launch, I have, uh, I have leveraged some of my credit to uh, make a big splash and hire some people, but there's mindful debt. And I think there's reckless debt. You know, I I think there's, um, there's a philosophy that, you know, debt is bad period. But I think if you are, you are leveraging your credit to grow your business in a mindful and strategic way, it's not bad. I
0: agree. And the same goes with education to an extent. I mean, you can be taking out a loan for your business or your education, but like you say, it has to be strategic. And, uh, there's definitely, uh, many people that are taking out way more than they can carry.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's, it's, it's about mindfully knowing what you can handle. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't derail your plans. I, I think for, for each person it's, um, it's really, you know, setting that budget. You know, one thing for me a few years ago that really helped was, um, was carving out not only a monthly budget and tracking that, but, um, but also looking at the unessentials, you know, what, what kind of monthly subscription services or, or these unessential things were sapping my money every month that I wasn't even paying attention to. You know, I think it's really important for people, um, quarterly to sit down and really look at the cash flow. And ask themselves, you know, what's necessary as an entrepreneur, especially, where's the cash flow going, going? And is there anything I can cut out? You know, and I try and do that quarterly. And it's a very effective practice.
0: What's something that you've recently cut out or or one thing that you were spending mindlessly on?
1: Um, I was paying. This is so funny. It's going to sound like a commercial. I was paying way too much on my car insurance. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that is a commercial. So I was paying too much this on episode brought to you so. by Geico. <laughs> it's true. I, I was paying too much on on things like cell phone bill, auto insurance, um, monthly subscriptions to, um, uh, like, say, um, Spotify, things like that. Things that I I either wasn't using that I was paying that recurring monthly charge for or I was paying too much. And I think um, it's so easy as we get busy – to forget about researching again, if, even if it's quarterly, like, okay, is there a way I can reduce my expenses while I'm increasing my income? So, um, yeah, reducing the auto, reducing the cell phone bill, canceling the Spotify, even those tiny, tiny increments, they add up. If you look at it annually,
0: you talked earlier about how your upbringing and your family environment really influenced your path in nutrition and ultimately, uh, adapting a vegan lifestyle. Um, what would you say is the same true about money? Was there a financial uh, memory that you have growing up as a kid that was um, – that maybe your family uh, was around for? or Maybe it was just growing up in your household, your first kind of introduction to money and the first kind of great memory that you had about money. What was it and how did that shape ultimately your financial mindset?
1: It's a fascinating question because there were – there was a great polarity, I suppose, between how my mother and father handled money. So um, it was a bit confusing, especially, you know, growing up as an adult and then eventually becoming an entrepreneur, to look back at how those money philosophies shaped my mindset and how I had to overcome certain things. So on my mom's side, um, you know, she was very much kind of in that blue-collar family work ethic growing up in Detroit. Most everybody worked for one of the big three automakers. My mom didn't, but she was hustling. My mom was working at her peak three or four jobs at a time to make ends meet. So I saw this relentless work ethic from my mother on her side and on my dad's side, I saw a little bit more reckless as money would come in, um, my dad did several things he He was um, kind of an exotic car dealer. He would go down to Um, different states in the south and the midwest and find these old jaguars and porsches and ferraris and recondition them and sell them and he also made his way out to hollywood and was an actor for many years and my dad's philosophy was a little different as soon as money came in it got spent boom just on a lot of different things vegas trips fancy cars uh all kinds of other expenses i i god only knows what he spent it on but as soon as it came in it was out the door so I had this blue-collar, hardcore work ethic hustle for my mom, and this, as soon as the dollar comes in, it goes out for my dad, and that was a little bit confusing to decipher, so I guess what it what it shaped is um, a sense of balance, per se, that I can hustle and work my butt off because it's in my DNA, but as the money comes in, I can indulge a little bit and spend some on me and pay myself first but also be mindful of putting money away and invest wisely as my mom has done. So I guess I've kind of created a hybrid of my mom and my dad's philosophies.
0: Yeah. It sounds like you took the best of both worlds. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about failure. Oh, boy. Financial failure. (laughs) Earlier, you'd said before we went live that these questions made you meditate. (laughs) So did you meditate on this one? What was your greatest financial failure to date? What happened? And how'd you get yourself out of it?
1: I started a catering business with my best friend back in 2008 and 2009. We had a a couple years of this catering business and neither one of us had ever done a catering business. Uh, I was working in commercial kitchens at that time, um, which the restaurant business is similar, but it's very different than catering. And he had never done so, although he was he was good with money. He had been in the financial world but was doing more food-related stuff. So we went into business together, um, never having done catering, um, and never having really consulted with any caterers. We're like, oh, how hard can it be? You go to a festival, you do a wedding, you do a bat mitzvah, whatever it is, and you make it work. So what ended up happening was um, – an unbelievable amount of investment and money, tens of thousands of dollars, but also just the man hours, just the labor hours of this business of, say, going to a music festival and spending three to four days of probably 16-hour days prepping all this food to go to a festival to either take a loss or just break even. So at the end of a year and a half of this business, you know, we looked at the P and Ls, and we had just barely broke even. And you know, breaking even in depending on the, the the sector of business could be seen as a success. I get it. You know, if Tesla breaks even, every, you know the investors are cheering. But in in this, it was just the sheer amount of labor and food cost. And then looking at a year and a half into the business, going, oh my god, we you know, we want to die. We're so tired. I mean, just just brutally exhausted from this and feeling like, um, feeling like we didn't have any money to show for it after 18 months. And he kind of looked at me and I looked at him and we thought, "Mm, I don't really think this is working because our food costs are too high. The profit margins are slim, even in the food business, whatever sector it is, you know, if you're dealing with organic foods and, and, and really nutritious foods, your food costs are incredibly through the roof. So Um, that left us with not a lot of savings left. I remember being very close to zero and I actually had to take a, a nine to five gig for about six months to replenish my financial resources. And then, you know, kind of reset my base. And, um, at that time is really when I launched into after that six month, nine to five gig launching into celebrity personal chefing. And, uh, and I've never looked back. Well, so maybe it was meant to be. Yeah, I, I think it was, you know, I, you can look at a failure or a setback as something to, to, you know, crush your spirit and, 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 you know, give up. But I think it was a redirect. I think it was okay. You know, you're not meant to be in the background behind the scenes. Cause that's, that's what I had been doing. You know, so I took this nine to five to kind of replenish my financial reserves. But that was only a six month temporary thing. At the end of that six months, I got a call from, you know, Jeremy Piven and Woody Harrelson. And that set me off on the celebrity chefing track. And, you know, since then, that was um, that was mid 2010. Uh, I've never looked back in the in the past six years. So it was just, yeah, it it, it was just a redirect from the universe, you know,
0: (laughs) how did how did the, the universes of Jeremy Piven and Woody Harrelson find out about you, though? How did that happen?
1: through, um, through my friend, David Wolf, actually David Wolf is, um, a really well-known nutrition educator. Uh, he has this amazing uh, wellness conference called the longevity now conference. I'd been working with David for about a year and a half at that point, just kind of knowing each other in the industry. And he asked me, he said, Hey, if I, you know, if I ever get any celebrity clients in the pipeline that are looking for a chef, are you interested? I said, absolutely. So that was about a year. So a year later, he's like, well, do you want to work with Jeremy? Sure. Do yes. you want to work with Woody? Sure. Wow. And then when you do a good job, word of mouth is still the most powerful advertising. Mm-hmm. So when you do a great job, people talk and they share. And, um, and I was just blessed with that good fortune. Amazing.
0: All right. Let's flip it and talk success. Your, your so money moment, Jason. Take it away.
1: You know, the so money moment for me was, was shifting my focus from being behind the scenes and being in a kitchen, doing the catering business to saying, you know what? I want to be in front of the camera because that is where I feel like my greatest success is going to happen. I just could feel it in my gut. Before I was a chef, I was actually an actor. I was a theater actor. So I had this experience of being in front of a crowd, being in front of a camera. I did some commercial acting and I thought, what if I hybridize this? What if I, I, I take my experience with nutrition and food and I start teaching people on camera? So for me, if I look at the seed of my So Money moment, it was really deciding to start that YouTube channel, to get myself out in the world, to get myself in front of people talking about this, entertaining them, making them laugh while I'm educating them. And that led to my TV deal and having the first – being the first vegan chef in history with a TV deal with Food Network and Cooking Channel. That I would say that's probably my so money moment. That's that was amazing. a dream come true. Amazing. You know, al- always wanted that. How long were you
0: YouTubing before you started to get recognized by the TV powers that
1: be? It was about three years. I started my wow. YouTube channel in late 09 and we got the green light for the TV pilot in 2012. So it was a good three years on YouTube.
0: See, just to let people out there know, Jason's success was not overnight. And, uh, you know, people now with social media, they want 20,000 Twitter followers yesterday. They want, you know, it's it's even though it's an instantly gratifying platform, you know, YouTube, you put out a video, people watch it. You have to be consistent and you have to do it for a long time, usually before um, you have a quote unquote breakthrough.
1: Absolutely. And, and two key pieces to that that I think, you know, led to this success was I, I looked at the marketplace and what wasn't being offered. What, what's a hole in the market that I can fill? And at that time, when I, I started my YouTube channel, A, there weren't a lot of people teaching vegan food on YouTube, but the ones that were, were dreadfully boring. <laughs> so I thought, how can I create a niche of really entertaining, really engaging and comedic, fun recipe tutorials because no one's doing it. So looking for that gap in the marketplace and the social media world was one thing. And the second thing was just consistently providing really valuable content. You know, if people have usable content they can implement in their daily life, I think that's another key takeaway.
0: Awesome. You're inspiring me. I'm like, Maybe I should take this podcast and do like a daily I mean, gosh, I'm busy enough as it is. What am I thinking? (laughs) If I could just clone myself. Do you ever want, do you ever hope you could clone yourself? But not really, but you know.
1: No, all the time, actually. I really do. I really do. And actually, like, could I clone myself? But would we work well together? I don't know. (laughs) I think I would hate me. Yeah.
0: I I would, I would, (laughs) gosh. Uh, Alrighty, habits. What's your number one money habit? Something that you practice. It doesn't have to be every day, but it's conscious.
1: Um, tracking my finances. I think people uh, are scared to look at what's really going on day to day. Um, every single day, kind of just looking at your cash flow: where's it coming in, where's it going out? Is is number one. It sounds like such a rudimentary thing, but you know, really just having a good relationship. It's almost like you know if you're dating someone and you're really into them communication is key it's like every day like what's going on how are you i'm thinking about you what's shaking let's keep the you know the communication open having that good communication being mindful of your your cash flow is number 1 number 2 um you know paying yourself first this goes back to um uh, the richest man in babylon a really amazing super short book that i recommend for everyone to read um but paying yourself first especially as an entrepreneur it's so easy to just pump all of your free money into growing your business, which can be effective. But then you can also arrive at a point where you realize, oh my God, I don't have anything in savings, or I'm not really putting anything to my my investments, or I haven't taken a vacation in a year and a half, not really all that healthy of a choice. So I, I think having that balance of okay, I'm gonna set aside 10% of my income, 15% of my income, I'm gonna throw it in savings or my investments, or have a vacation fund because that's gonna help keep me sane as an entrepreneur. So again, being super mindful of the cash flow, looking at it daily, and paying yourself first and and acting like that 10% doesn't even exist, right? It's like if I get a check for $6,000 from hosting a YouTube video, mm-hmm. $600 is disappearing right away, right? Right into the savings or in the investments. It doesn't even exist to me. <laughs> so I would say that's, that's definitely my money ritual.
0: Awesome. All right. Let's, let's finish it off here strong with some stream of consciousness uh, fill in the blanks. First thing that comes to mind, if I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say $100 million bucks, the first thing I would do is?
1: Uh, I would pay off my mom's house. Uh, move her from Detroit to California. Uh, buy her a Jaguar and uh, and get her a totally off the grid, sustainable, cool, eco friendly house somewhere in the hills. Here, yeah. Oh, and then I would also take a huge chunk of that. I would donate to um, some amazing causes that I believe in, like some animal welfare organizations, um, organizations to help feed the homeless. And I would invest a lot of that in commodities. Um, water right now is a huge one. Uh, arable cropland I think is an awesome investment. So yeah, a little bit of taking care of mom, a little bit of giving away to organizations I believe in and uh and investing in some really interesting commodities.
0: Awesome. Of course you'll pay yourself first too, right? Ten percent.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't forget. Okay, one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is
1: my team. Um Having really amazing, talented people on my team is one thing that absolutely makes my life better. I have an amazing assistant who is just so on top of things. I have a great web designer and graphic designer that's been with me for almost seven years now. Um, And I have an amazing PR team. So uh, investing and spending money on great people absolutely makes life better and easier Mm.
0: okay your biggest splurge one thing I splurge on it's a lot of money but I wouldn't have it any other way is
1: I was gonna say chocolate first
0: (laughs) (laughs) what's your give a budget for chocolate
1: I don't actually and that frightens me now that I'm thinking about it um uh (laughs) Other than chocolate, I would have to say it would be, um, it would be going out to, to eat in general. You know, as, as a chef and, and nutrition educator, I'm always super curious about what other chefs are doing and what other people are doing culinary wise. So I would have to say the biggest guilty pleasure is just going out to eat because I love the creative experience of seeing what these other artists are doing. And honestly, that's probably the biggest part of my monthly budget that I'm trying to reel in because some month it's like, oh, you went out to eat a little too much this month. So that's probably my number one guilty pleasure.
0: All right. One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is...
1: Mm. When you when you are fully aligned with your gifts and your talents and you are giving great value to people, the money is going to naturally flow in. Um, and also, um, I would say start saving a lot earlier, start investing a lot earlier because the power of compound interest cannot be denied.
0: Yes. Yes. Who knew about compound interest when they were growing up? I mean, really,
1: yeah, but man, if someone had told me someone. earlier, I oh It's not oh. sexy, and honestly,
0: I I think in you know, wouldn't it have been great if we all got personal finance lessons like that growing up. Sure, but would it really move the needle? I don't know, because I learned a lot of things when I was little that I didn't apply, that I wish I had, you know? It's one of those things that until you experience it in your own life, until you feel the pain, until you are faced with the decision for real, um It doesn't really sink in, Uh, not to underestimate or, or, uh, you know, say that we aren't capable of taking that advice and running with it at age 12. But I just think that there's other things that you'd want to do, like go play with your friends. I think it's also a personality, too. Like, I definitely know people who who are saving since they were 10 or 12 because that's what they like to do. It's a personality driven thing as well.
1: I think you're right about that, for sure. I, I think no, it's always good to look back in, in hindsight, right? Um, but I think had I had that nugget, m- maybe had it framed right, like if you start saving at 18 and you put this percentage in for the rest of your adult life, you're going to end up with this. Yeah, if, if show me the end picture. Framed, yes, yeah. exactly. What's the end goal? And if, if had someone if someone had done that, I think I would have been much more motivated.
0: True. All right. When I donate, I like to give to blank because…
1: When I donate money, I love to give to um, causes or uh, businesses or Kickstarters that I believe in, that I feel are aligned with my highest values. So if that's a, a nonprofit organization, as I mentioned, that is helping to create uh, more compassion and welfare for animals, or helping to clean up the environment, or um, support homeless people with um, getting off their feet and and creating more actionable steps to create a better life for themselves, um, I like to give to those because... I feel like they're creating a, a palpable difference in the lives of, of the planet, um, the, the people on this planet, rather, um, animal life and the environment. So if it's aligned with my values, I, I definitely put my money there when I donate.
0: Right on. And last but not least, I'm Jason Robel. I'm so money because...
1: Because I am making the world a better place.
0: Yes. One... A uh, delicious vegan chocolate-covered kale chip at a time.
1: <laughs> they are quite delicious, yeah.
0: <laughs> Anything with chocolate on it. I mean, someone put chocolate on foie gras over this this past weekend. I was at Tim Love's restaurant in Austin. Um, he is not vegan, uh, <laughs> to Clearly. say the least. Yeah. But he was like, everybody, you try some uh, chocolate-covered foie gras ice cream. And I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm good.
1: Most um, things are better with chocolate. Most though. things are better Absolutely. with chocolate. Uh,
0: Jason, thank you so much, everyone. The book is called Eternity. More than 150 deliciously easy vegan recipes for a long, healthy, satisfied, joyful life that is also so money. I'm going to add those that last phrase to your subtitle. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: My pleasure, Farnoosh. Thanks for having me today
0: that's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Jason, his website is jasonrobel.com. That's W-R-O-B-E-L. He's also on Twitter at Jason Robel. All of this information back at somoneypodcast.com where you can grab the transcript and the audio and the uh, comments from this episode and all previous episodes. P.S. Follow the Leader is now airing on April 6th at 10 p.m. Eastern Pacific, not the 23rd, which was earlier this week. We changed the date. Stay tuned for that. It's going to change your life. Really, it changed mine. CNBC, primetime, 10 p.m., Eastern Pacific, April 6th. Check it out. And in the meantime, stay here with So Money. We got lots more in store for you. And between now and the next day, I hope your day is So Money.